Welcome into another episode of the Musketeer Report podcast. This is the Selection Sunday edition. Paul Fritschner, Rick Broering with you, and we are just a couple hours removed from Xavier hearing their name called in the NCAA tournament field for the 29th time, the third time as a three seed. The last time they were a three seed was back in 2008. They made the Elite Eight that year. That's also the only other time Sean Miller has been a three seed in his coaching career. Xavier will face Kennesaw State, champions out of the Atlantic Sun. That game will be on Friday at 1240. You can watch it on True TV. It'll be in Greensboro, North Carolina at the Greensboro Coliseum. If they beat Kennesaw State, they will play the winner of the 6-11 game. That features Iowa State out of the Big 12. And then a play-in game, either Mississippi State or Pitt. Xavier ended up being 12th on the overall S-curve of the bracket. Musketeers rewarded with the three-seed, Rick. They flipped spots with Connecticut. You have to wonder if maybe the Big East tournament results, after all, did come into play there. But I can tell you one thing, Rick. I was at the Centos Center when uh, the bracket was revealed, and there was a copious amount of positivity all over between the players, the coaching staff, the staff in general, just uh, before the press conference, after the press conference, walking around upstairs on the fourth floor of Cintas, there was smiles all over everybody's faces. This is a phenomenal draw for Xavier. Obviously, it's March. Obviously, anything can happen. But if you're looking at a draw as opposed to a team like UConn who has to play uh, Iona, in Albany and Rick Patino and St. Mary's and then potentially Kansas out West and Las Vegas. I mean, this is a Xavier draw that got probably the most favorable matchup among 14 seeds. Then a, an Iowa state team that has significantly struggled at different points this season, especially down the stretch. Iowa state has not beaten a team not named Baylor since February 15th. They had lost four straight going into those last two wins against Baylor before their loss in the Big 12 tournament against Kansas. Rick, Xavier will be a trendy pick to come out of this region. You saw Clark Kellogg already picked them on the CBS Sports broadcast, which uh, you could hear a roar out of the the bowels of the Cintas Center when that popped up onto the screen. I don't know if it was coming from the locker room or, or where it was, if it was still fans in the arena, but it was while Sean Miller was talking that flashed up on the screen and you could hear a, a loud roar coming from somewhere. Uh, it is a special time right now to have Xavier back in the bracket after a five-year absence, 2018, the last time they were there. I have set all of that up for you, Rick, now to say it seems like Xavier is set up pretty well here. Well, first, let's just start with the seeding. And the three seed, Paul, I'm, I don't think that Xavier was undeserving of it by any stretch of the imagination. But to your point, I just don't really understand what changed that that move them up to that three seed line, or, or maybe it's just simply that the selection committee had a completely different opinion of Xavier, Yukon and Tennessee than any of the other bracketologists did all along. Because, I mean, I think it's easy to see why Xavier would move ahead of Yukon, especially when you have the head to head matchup. Xavier swept them during the regular season and their resumes were pretty similar with Tennessee though. I mean, they don't have a quad three loss. They have I mean, you you could argue that Xavier has the more quad one wins ultimately and the more quad one, quad two wins, but the records are fairly similar there. Tennessee has the better predictive metrics and all of that. 
So I, I have to say, I was a little surprised that Xavier got the benefit of the doubt and got that three seed and that so many bracketologists were wrong with that projection. Yeah, they were. I mean, Xavier was pretty comfortably a four seed going into Sunday, at least as far as you know, bracket matrix, everybody else. It, there were a handful of people that were picking Xavier to be a three seed here and there. But um, it, it was funny because I had gotten out my phone to start recording everybody um, and the reactions and everything when I saw the very first bracket at the top when it was um, down in Orlando. And it, that ended up being Virginia playing Furman. I, you saw Charleston on the other side of that. And it, it was funny. As soon as Charleston's name flashed up on the screen playing San Diego State, and then they flashed Furman up or whatever it was, however the order was, and you saw that four seed coming. You could you could see everybody smiling because everybody knew immediately, uh-oh, wait a second, here we go. Is this it already? Are we going to be one of the first six teams announced in this thing? And then uh, they missed that, and it went down the list, went down the list. And when I saw the Greensboro region pop up, that was really the only reason I got my phone out, and I thought, Maybe, maybe Xavier's going to sneak in here. And I think the shock came across. I tweeted out the video. You can go uh, watch it if you haven't seen it already. I tweeted out the video of everybody's reaction. I think it was genuine shock um, on, on the faces of a lot of people that realized, yeah, most people had Xavier as a four seed, but they ended up on that three line. They were the, the last three seed, as you say, at the 12th overall seed in the field. Yeah. And I, I mean, again, I don't have an argument against it. I think it makes sense. But I just it's weird that so many people missed on that. And we didn't really have much change in the last week or so. Uh, there wasn't like a lot of new information that was mind blowing. I mean, had Xavier gone on and maybe won the Big East tournament, then I think that's a little bit different. Or one of those other teams that somehow lost a, a terrible game that they shouldn't have lost. It'd be a little bit different. But that wasn't the case. So just interesting the way it played out. But as it did play out, you're dead on. Xavier couldn't ask for a much better situation than this. I mean, the Kennesaw State matchup, I just posted my initial thoughts on the message board about Kennesaw State. I got to be honest, I I think this sets up really well for Xavier in terms of avoiding any type of upset scare. We We can get more into like Kennesaw State's personnel and what they do and all of that. But just the initial like overview of them is, they're they don't really stand out in any one area per se. They have more of like a three or four man attack on the offensive end. And then defensively, they do a really good job, but they have a couple of glaring holes. One being that their point guard is a, a tiny guy at like 5'10, 160. And their big man is like 6'8, 260. He doesn't play above the rim. He doesn't challenge shots at the rim. I mean, I mean, he he has some block shots at their level in the A-Sun, but he's not a guy that can give you rim protection against Big East talents when they're attacking. And he's going to be a problem in ball screens against Xavier's offense. So, I mean, just starting there, I think the Kennesaw State matchup is a really good one for Xavier and one that I wouldn't be too worried about. And then you move into that next round, and I mean, I understand Iowa State is really good defensively, and they have a lot of interchangeable guards that are, are tough and athletic. And they'll turn you over, but they're not very impressive offensively. And if that's the team you're getting in the second round, and we could talk about Mississippi State and Pitt too, which is going to be an interesting matchup because Mississippi State can't score at all. They're great defensively. Pitt, pretty good offensively, can't defend at all. So whoever comes out of that game is going to have a a glaring, glaring hole on one side of the court or the other. 
And I would imagine Iowa State will end up winning that first round matchup. So you've got Xavier, Iowa State in the second round, potentially. Again, I I just Iowa State really struggles on the offensive end. I I just don't know that they can score with Xavier, even as good as they are on the defensive end. Yeah, Uh, just to give everybody a very quick overview of Kennesaw State. um, They're coached by Amir Abdurrahim, who took over the program back in 2020. They went one in 28 that year. They were 352nd on Ken Palm, 335 and 21. Then they've climbed up about 100 spots in the last two years. They went from uh, three, you know, 330-ish to 223 last year, and now they're all the way up at 127. So, you know, we're talking about a team here that's only lost two games since January 5th, but in that stretch, the best team that they've played. Well, they did get a win over Liberty, who was 48th on Ken Palm. They have two wins over Liberty in that stretch. But outside of that, Lipscomb at 157. So we're, we're not talking about a team that you know has, has gone out there. They lost by 34 to San Diego State in the non-conference, lost by three to VCU, the Atlantic 10 champion in the non-conference. Yeah, they, by, they played a tough non-conference schedule. They, they did. They did. They lost by 10 to Florida. Um, so they have challenged themselves. And, and like I said – a lot of credit goes out to to Abdur Rahim for coaching this team, taking them from quite literally one of the worst teams in the entire country three years ago to now being uh, the, the champs out of the Atlantic Sun. Uh, you have to imagine they'll have some fans there not traveling all that far up to Greensboro. They're based out of, uh, well, Kennesaw, obviously, in Georgia. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean – this is this is a very ideal scenario matchup wise for Xavier in the first round and then potentially in the second. Look, everybody I know is going to talk about the Big 12, how good the Big 12 has been this year. But if you're talking about the bottom of the Big 12 that got into this bracket, I know they are six seed, but Iowa State really struggled down the stretch. I felt like every time I watched an Iowa State game this year, I mean, Rick, we're talking about a team that during that four game losing streak, they lost. They they here were their point totals. 55, 54, 50, 69. Yeah. If they lose, it's because they're not scoring. And they are playing low possession games. I mean, that right. game against Texas and Oklahoma, it was, it was a 60 possession game. But even in a 72 possession game against West Virginia on February 8th, they only scored 71 points. Yeah, the thing about Iowa State that makes you feel really good if you're a Xavier fan is you feel like as long as you just don't give them a bunch of turnovers, they're not going to be able to score enough to beat you. So it really is a situation where you feel like you're in control of the game. And in the NCAA tournament, that's not always the case. Sometimes you're just going up against a team that is hot or they have a a great individual player that you don't have a matchup for and it's going to be a problem. Like Iowa State doesn't present those problems when I look at them. Defensively, they'll make it tough on you. There's no doubt about that. And they're really aggressive. They'll come double-team, trap you, get turnovers, and go the other way with it. If you let them turn you over, then they'll be a problem. But you're in control of that. If you take care of the basketball, I just don't see a a way that they win. And like you said, they lost, what, like eight of their last 11 games or something to, to end the regular season? Now, I don't know exactly how you account for that being in the Big 12, because I do think those teams at the bottom of the Big 12 would be pretty solid teams in most other conferences. It is that deep and it is legitimately that good. But I'm also kind of with you that they also really benefit from all their predictive metrics and everything that the Big 12 provides for them because of their quality of competition. So, I mean, this is a team that 
hasn't had a lot of actual success in terms of winning games over the last few months. Uh just looking across this bracket, Rick, you know how we talked the other night about, you know, the matchups and whether the conference or the whether the committee puts together matchups and all the conspiracy theorists or whatever. Yeah. You look at look you look <laughs> at the storylines all over the place here. I mean, Kentucky and Providence, Bryce Hopkins there transferring going back to play against Kentucky. You look at a potential Duke and Kentucky regional game at Madison Square Garden. I mean, there are so many fun stories all over this bracket. Um, I mean, UConn and Patino, there's just, I, I feel like every time I'm turning around and looking at this, there's something that makes you go, oh, okay, yeah, that's going to be real good. No, that, I mean, like like we talked about in that show when you were questioning, would they potentially do a Xavier Dayton game? There's no doubt they would. They like absolutely love using any little connection or storyline that they can to pit these matchups against each other. And well, um, you, you saw that with this year's practice. Br- Bryce Hopkins and the Kentucky game is like the best example you can possibly think of. Yeah. And the other thing, too, just looking at Xavier. Now, this is this is convoluted and this is not something that the committee would have thought of. It's just fun looking at it. Xavier plays Texas A&M in the Sweet 16. That'd be last year's NIT final. But also, I just tweeted out right before the show. Back in 2004, with the run, Xavier's run to the Elite Eight, they beat Mississippi State in the second round and Texas in the Sweet 16. I mean, it is it is kind of wild looking how – that's not something – I'm not sitting here and suggesting that the committee is you know, reproducing a Xavier run from almost 20 years ago. But it is funny going back and looking at how some of this stuff is, has set itself up. Yeah, let's look at the top seeds in the Midwest the region that Xavier is going to be. You got Houston as the number one seed. And I think we agree that that would be a difficult matchup for Xavier. We don't know where Marcus Sasser's health is. They're not, we don't have to worry about that. They're not getting out of the first round. That's right, Paul, because they'll be playing the Northern Kentucky Norse, hopefully without Marcus Sasser. And I do have to point out NKU was undefeated against the AAC this year. That's a great point, Rick. In fact, you know, we talk about an AAC that, Sometimes struggles to score. Cincinnati only scored 11 points against NKU in the second half. Houston's thrown up some clunkers. We'll see the Norse in the second round. Yeah, this might be a 30-30 to 30 game in the final 10 minutes. You can tune in to Jim Kelch and I to catch the, the final minutes of that game. That'll be exciting. But um, you got Houston as the one seed. You have Texas as the two. You got Xavier as the three, obviously. Then you go down to Indiana as a four and Miami as the five. And obviously we know about the Indiana matchup. I think every Xavier fan would be totally fine with that rematch happening. Although I'm not sure that anyone across the country right now feels good about Indiana's chances of advancing that far. And then you look at Miami and we've talked about it, Nigel pack and their guards that want to come downhill at you. That is not an ideal matchup for Xavier at all. But again, if Xavier makes it that far in the tournament and we're talking about that matchup, you'll take whatever comes your way. At them. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, and it kind of goes back to the same point that I've been making this entire time when we have fun, you know, getting in the lab and talking about the the seating and everything. Like, you just got to play somebody, right? Like, you, you just got to roll the ball out there. And when you look across the rest of the Big East, and especially UConn, I mean, especially UConn, things could have been a whole lot worse in terms of a road uh, through this region. And, um, you know, they get the Midwest, which would be played in Kansas City. That is a Friday, Sunday regional the next week. If they, Look, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here. I'm just – people are going to ask the questions, so I'm going to lay it out there. Yeah, this is the time for the overview. Can't, 
Kansas City is a Friday-Sunday regional, so if you were thinking about planning ahead, if, if you're not superstitious and you feel comfortable talking yourself into that, Kansas City the next weekend is a Friday-Sunday, so it would be back-to-back Friday-Sunday weekends for Xavier should they get there. Um, but, uh, yeah, as, as far as the top seeds go, I mean, could you imagine could, could you imagine Indiana and Xavier running it back to go to the Final Four? That would be incredible. I would really like Xavier's odds if that's what that's the elite eight matchup that they were left with. I don't see that being the case. No, uh, but I mean, I do not think it's unreasonable at all to have Xavier in the elite eight in your bracket. And I think if you look across different projections and experts who are going to post their stuff online, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that becomes a trendy pick. It's also it's almost making me nervous how many people. Are, I think are going to – we've already seen it. If you look around tonight, I mean, I've spent the last hour or so kind of digging into everything, and uh, it, 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 it's it's almost too easy to see it the way it's going that you have to kind of take a step back and think, all right, hold on a second here. Hold on a second. Um, but Texas, like, they won the Big 12 yesterday by what, 20-something over Kansas? Yeah, uh, Texas looks like a monster right now. I, I mean, that is not at all a, a quote-unquote – favorable matchup for anyone in the country. So it's it's not like I'm saying, oh man, Xavier's path is just going to be easy to get to the Elite Eight, but you could do worse, I think, in terms of I matchups. Mean, I, you, you might want to trade Texas out with another two seed probably, but aside from that, you, you, you've given yourself a chance with this draw. Texas has thrown up some clunkers this year, but still, I mean, they're, you know, obviously a tough team. I think if you're picking two seeds, you probably would have picked UCLA. At least I would have. I would have too. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the if, – if you had said UCLA and Mick Cronin in Kansas City to go to the Elite Eight, I, I think that would have been the only thing in this bracket that you possibly could have. And, you know – Do we know – hold on. Do we know is Mick Cronin even going to be coaching in the NCAA tournament? Is he, are he going to be fighting the band of brothers that attacked his dad? Yeah. What happened there? I I, I kind of missed it. What happened? Last night during his press conference, Mick abruptly left after a reporter told him that his dad had been accosted in the stands by a couple of uh, fans. Uh, Of course, that was after Mick had blamed the fact that they lost on the refs and a few other things. So I don't know that he was long for that press conference anyways. But uh, yeah, now on Reddit, it's saying that Mick's dad assaulted a 17-year-old kid. And so who knows? Who knows what the truth is? I know where what I believe, what I choose to believe, and... I'm a Reddit guy, Paul. Got to be honest. I'm a Reddit guy. You're you're still in the fact gathering phase. No, no. I've pretty much jumped to a conclusion now. I'm I'm going with the people (laughs) on Reddit. I think Uh, they've got the sources. What did you think of Houston? Just a a little more uh, overview here before we get more into Xavier. Um, What did you think of Houston being higher up on the seed line than Kansas? I thought they deserved it. Quite honestly, I mean, to me, Houston was the best team in the country this year. Now, the fact that they almost got blown out by Memphis today, they made it look a little more respectable by the end. But that was that game got out of hand at one point, it looked like. So a little bit surprised by that result in the American Athletic Conference tournament. But let's be honest. I mean, Houston hasn't played a game that's mattered since uh, December 10th against Alabama, probably. I mean, seriously, probably. Yeah. There wasn't a single AAC game they play, whether it be the tournament or otherwise, that's mattered all year long. Yeah. yeah so, no, yeah, right. yeah, they lost focus against Temple at one point against home. They, they went 
at home against Temple, which is the thing that gives you hope if you're going to be playing Houston. The fact that they're capable of throwing up those games where they just don't score and they're under 60 points. You feel like you got a chance just because you'll be in it. But yeah, I mean, to me, Houston was incredibly consistent throughout the course of this year, and they had to be bored playing that AAC schedule. So I have no issue with them being at the top. Uh, Rick, I do want to add one more thing about last night's game. You and I talked about this on the phone earlier. Um, Just kind of looking back and and thinking more about last night's Big East Championship game and how much some of these guys were worn down. Sean Miller did talk in the post-game press conference. He acknowledged um, and I, how happy he was that this is a Friday Sunday regional that you or a Friday Sunday first weekend um, that they get an extra you know day here to rest and recuperate and Sule Boom hadn't been feeling well and, and some of those guys you could tell walking in today that it was a worn <laughs> worn down scene that they will gladly take the extra day off the team will travel on Wednesday um, to get there to then play on Friday afternoon but it was funny. Um, I had asked Sean Miller last night about the the defense in last night's game because just going by the stats, the defense last night for Xavier, the last 25, 26, 27 minutes of the game was one of the best defensive halves of the whole season. And, you know, it was, it was Marquette's third lowest scoring game of the season. And I, I asked Sean about that after the game. And, uh, he kind of laughed and, and brushed it off and thought that it was a, a very, very poor defensive effort last night. And he did not – yeah, he could not have scoffed more at, at what he thought the defensive effort was. And he walked right into the press conference room today, and it, it was me and Adam and a, a couple other guys sitting there. And he looked right at me and he goes, you know, you were right about the defense. I, I thought it was better last night. And I go, well, all right. So there you I, go. The last 20 minutes of the game, they Doug Tiff pointed it out in the spaces last night, 0.7 points per possession or whatever it was. I mean, I know a lot of that had to do with the game flow because they slowed down the tempo and everything like that. But if you look at the box score from that game last night, it's wild looking at just the stats. Marquette only made one more shot than Xavier did, shot almost the same percentage. I mean, all the way down the, the line. And then to have it feel like Xavier never even had a chance, it just it was just uh, just a kind of a bizarre night. But I don't want to spend too much time well, on that. Just kind of well, to- I would just say here was my point to Paul about that though. I don't think it really even matters. Like I don't think it's worth splitting hairs there simply because it's not like you're trying to sell me on the fact that Xavier had some out of body experience on the defensive end in that game. What you're saying is Xavier played the last thirty or so minutes of that game the way they've been playing on the defense event recently. They continued to play pretty well with great effort and attention to detail. So, I mean, the fact that that game was out of hand and, you know, maybe it turned into a little bit of an open gym game at some point for Marquette on the offensive end and they didn't care as much, they lost a little bit of focus, is certainly possible. I just don't think it really matters in that scenario because, again, it's that that's who Xavier's been. So, like, I'm not that concerned about the defensive effort or anything that happened in that Marquette matchup. It just is what it is. It's a big East tournament game. It's the championship. It's the third in three days. I think you, you just kind of move on from that one and forget about it pretty quickly. Yep. Just wanted to wrap that up before we, uh, before we moved on. Yeah. Let's see. Mario Mercurio is going to join us here to talk a little bit about selection Sunday and anything else that is on his mind. All right. He's having a mic issue, folks having a Uh mic issue. 
All right, let's go ahead. I tell you what, let's take a call from uh, more fifty one fifty who's been sitting here. Okay, we'll take his call and then uh, we'll wait for Mario see if he can get it straightened out. All right, right more fifty one fifty. What do you got? We'll do this uh, real quick because uh, I want to listen to what Mario has to say. All right. I was wondering about the the seed line that we got, and I noticed that we were a twelve, uh, and Connecticut was the thirteenth pick. Um, my question is is whether or not you think that this might have had some factor in that 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 four seed gave Connecticut a game in Albany, New York, which is pretty close to home for them. And that maybe that was the trade-off that they made was like, okay, we're going to drop you down a seed, but you're going to get to play really close to home. X is going to get to go up a seed, but they're going to have to travel all the way to North Carolina. You know, I did see a couple bracketologists mention that uh, leading into the day, but I don't know if that ended up having anything you know, to do with it. I haven't seen any anything on that, but I did see a couple of uh, guys mention it in the late afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. P- appreciate the question. i tell you what, we'll circle back. We'll take some more questions later. More, please check back in when we do that. But let's go to our guest now. Mario Mercurio has joined us. Mario, maybe you'd probably be the best person to ask about the seating situation. What were your thoughts going into today? And were you surprised at all by the three seed? You know, surprise is a weird word. Can you hear me okay? Oh, we yep. can hear you. You're, oh, yeah, yeah, you're great. I had to go through a, a full bevy of uh, Apple Apple uh, adjustments here in the privacy and security settings. But um, surprise is a weird word. And, and this you're going to get a long answer for the first question here. But the net, since it's been used as a model for seeding, A, we haven't made a tournament since then. But B, the, the there's just no point of reference. You know, during the RPI days, we had this Excel formula that, had every field, you know, for the last 20 years and broke down strength of schedule, you know, top 100 wins, top 50 wins, top 10 wins. And honestly, going into March, if it was a good year, we could tell pretty clearly like, hey, this is what a seven seed has always looked like. This is what an eight seed has always looked like. There were some rules in place and Rothstein, I used to poke him about it because, you know, for the longest time it was if you had an RPI of 30 and a strength of schedule of 30, like you were automatically getting in. So whenever I saw a bubble he would hit some bubble tweets out there and I'd say, you're wrong. Like that team is going to be in, that team is going to be in. And it was, it was tried and tested all the way up ironically to the last year the RPI was used. So if you think about the net year one with the net, as it comes to the selection committee was year one, you know, it's, it's fresh out of the gate. There's no point of reference looking backward. And, you know, they selected a field. It went off and running year two was COVID. They selected a field, but the field never got released. So you never really could see, okay, year one and year two, what was the consistent uh, points that really mattered to them? Did they value road wins? Did they value uh, strength of schedule? You know, was 20 wins, you know, over those two years, uh, an important factor about getting in, not getting in. You never knew what was going to happen in year two. Year three was almost worse than year two because you have all these teams with crazy different schedules. You know, that was kind of coming out of COVID in the, in the, year where you're just trying to get through it. You have teams with 17 games, you have teams with 25 games, you have teams that played, you know, only three road games. So a field is selected, they're thrown into the bubble, and you're now three years deep with only one year being the first as a traditional year. And then last year goes back to being a traditional year. So year four, year one, how are you tying all that together and say, man, this makes sense for a three seed, this makes sense for a seven seed. Specific to our team, I thought our resume had been undervalued. 
which would be a positive and, and something that you'd say, man, they deserve this three seed. But that, by the same respects, the Fremantle piece out there, again, when you lose, you know, the guy ranked as Ken Palm's, you know, a top four player in the Big East, um, you know, I, a committee member could say, can they really do it without him? And, and I think over the last month we showed ourselves that we could, uh, especially if we had the right amount of rest to just kind of deal with our limited rotation. So was I surprised? I felt like we were a team whose resume was undervalued. I felt like our road wins were wins that we hadn't had in multiple years combined at Xavier. You know, to go to UConn, to UC, to St. John's, um, I mean, to Providence, to Seton Hall. And the other thing with those is, if you're looking at them closely, we went to all those campus sites. We didn't play UConn in the XL Center. We played them on campus. We didn't play St. John's in MSG. We played them at Carnesecca. We didn't play Villanova downtown. We played them on campus. And any coach in the Big East will tell you, like, it's night and day in some of those cases, what is more difficult between the two. We did all three. And I felt like if they took a tight look at who we were from the start, the teams we played, you know, our strength, the schedule in the non-conference was excellent. And, and, you know, by us committing to the PK 85 a long time ago, you know, it's, we were maybe in over our head a little bit in terms of this roster and where we were at with a first year head coach, you know, a six year first year head coach, you know, second, second term. But, um, you know, it was just, it, 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 I think this is the right seed for this team body of work wise, as you compare it to other teams. How much do you think the selection committee looks at some of the more granular details that you just laid out there, such as playing a team on their on-campus gym as opposed to their off-campus gym? Do you think they get that deep into it? You know, I think when they have debates and it gets tight, I hope, you know, just looking at the names in those in the room, there are people that aren't pedestrian when it comes to this stuff. They're ADs, they're administrators that have been around it. You know, they, they know the difference as they sit in there. And, um, you know, again, if it is, as I jumped on there, the caller was mentioned UConn and, you know, does, does, you know, did they, did they just put UConn there as a reward for location wise? Now, again, playing Rick Pitino, Iona in Albany is, I don't know how rewarded they feel, especially they're playing in the St. Mary's, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know if that's a very good reward if I'm Danny Hurley and crew, but. Right. I I think the idea there is just that trying to explain why bracketologists might've been wrong, having them as the three and you guys as the four. Right. I just think as you're pressed to make hard decisions and fit square pegs in the round holes, sometimes I, I believe they look at everything and, and they try to make the best decision with the information they have. And when they have a room that's split, you just start peeling back layers, peeling back layers and trying to get to the right, to the right answer. You you know, Mario, you mentioned the, whole bit about not having anything to go off of when it comes to looking at previous years for bracketology. But I would imagine when you're scheduling, it's an even bigger factor because you schedule with the intention of trying to set yourself up for the best resume by the end of the year. How difficult has this switch to the net and not having those data points to reference made scheduling for you? Difficult, but the greater thing, uh, the greater difficulty comes in the, in the, uh, the transfer rule. I mean, we used to make the scheduling decisions sometimes years ahead of time. Now, you know, especially with buy games, I mean, you truly do not know who is going to be on that roster. You know, if I were, and Ryan Reynolds, who came from Arizona, he did scheduling for Sean. So we, you know, we kind of almost have a two headed monster approach now in terms of just tackling all these and trying to make it, make the best decision each step of the way. But, you know, 
you pick any mid or low major team and look at their roster in December, you know every single good player on that team is going to have the opportunity to transfer up if they want to or transfer sideways or do whatever they want. And, and we used to be so intentional, especially as you look at, quote-unquote, good guarantees, you know, Belmont, uh, a lot of the MAC schools, Wofford. You know, we would we – would, it was like stealing money playing those teams because the RPI boost you'd get by saying, hey, like Belmont, they're going to be a top 50 RPI team. It's like beating a power six team. Uh, we stacked so many resume points over the last 15 years by doing that. And now you can't have any intention with that. And you have to be really, really guarded because a team can quickly go from 150 to 300 and just as, just as quickly go the other way. You know, as we've talked enough times about placing teams in certain spots where you want, you know, I don't, I don't want to say an easier team, but as you come out of different parts of your schedule and come off of different games, you want it to be a, a game you feel better about. There's no such thing anymore. You know, there's no path to really know who you're going to play, and especially in those guarantee games. The high majors are always going to be the high majors. You're you're going to know 95 percent of the time based on that team's name. You're going to be in a battle, uh, and then you know MTEs. You know, that's the other piece. It's just you. I don't think you'll see us playing many more three game MTEs just because of you know it just expands your exposure. You you truly don't know who you're getting into that dance with, and uh, it it complicates things certainly. Mario, do you off of those MTEs? Do you feel like having the second, you know, only two games instead of three gives you the opportunity for another high major game, or is that a situation where you're looking for a buy game because of that uncertainty? It might, but you got to remember too. With that switch, we've gone to 20 games in conference. You know, you picked up basically a new high major series with UConn, and I know it's obviously just wrapped up into our conference schedule, and it is what it is. But uh, you have to think about the big picture and just say, you know. Previously, those two games we could have been really intentional with. They could have both been by games. If you're saying, hey, we're going to go to Orlando and it's a loaded field, well, then, you know, we'll go two by games instead of like starting another home and home. You know, now those two, those two opportunities are owned by, you know, pull up Ken Palm, the, you know, a top five Ken Palm team in the country and uh, just basically another high major home and home series. So, uh, that's where, you know, the other advantage by going two as opposed to three is just with scouting. You know, when you get into the three gamer and, and we used to be the champion of this, it's so quick, you know, and, and you got seven other teams at a site and you get to that third game and, you know, you only have three assistants and you got a little, you know, kind of a staff of junior assistants behind that are helping. But, you know, to prepare for a three game, a, a two game, four team field you know, each team, each assistant gets a team. You're building your scouting system around that, and you're ready for whatever. With that eight-team field, you know, that third game is kind of up for grabs. And it, it really evens the opportunity as to who's going to win that. And, uh, yeah, two-game are probably a little bit smarter moving forward as, as we just deal with this 20-game conference schedule and all the uncertainty around it. Just for a peek behind the scenes, how much do you treat those tournaments, Mario, like what you did this year in Portland uh, with the players and preparation and the staff, how much does that factor into a preparation for the NCAA tournament and the short turnaround like that? Because I don't think I don't think it's exactly parallel like the Big East tournament where everybody knows everybody. You know, you're playing non-conference teams and it's different. You got to prepare for new personnel every day. How much is that playing into it? I, I mean, I love your thought and I appreciate it. The problem is just the distance. I mean, you're talking November to March. You know, it's it's good to get them exposed to that. It's good to get our staff exposed to that quick yeah. scouting turn. Um, 
you know, I think the one thing you want to capture is just that excitement, though, and, 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 you know, working your way through a bracket, staying competitive, being able to be locked in in those quick turnarounds, the, you know, treating your body the right way. I mean, to play Duke, Florida, and Gonzaga in a, in a four-game span, I mean, is, is like a suicide run and, you know, handling yourself. We, we left that tournament, even though we were one and two, we were such a better team coming out of it than we were going into it. I felt like our guys almost had a little bit of a bulletproof mentality because they knew how close we were. And uh, th- there was such a tremendous sense of belief as we left Portland coming home. And, uh, you know, to your point, there's there's a lot of value in that. But you you can't you can't play with fire too often because, oh, and oh, and three there, you know, as I say, you left with a bulletproof mentality, you would have felt really dented. And then if you look at our schedule coming out of there, I mean, I don't have anything in front of me, but, you know, I think we had a bye game coming out. And then you went, you know, basically two crosstown shootouts in the same week with West Virginia and UC. And I don't know what 0-3 would have done to our psyche. So, uh, Mario, I, I didn't mean for this to become a uh, MTE <laughs> podcast yeah, all of a sudden, yeah. but I do have one more follow-up here. The natural question that comes to mind, if you're saying you're going to be looking for two gamers instead of three gamers in the future. And I've heard that sentiment a few times from other coaches and and staff members that I've talked to as well at at other schools. I guess my question becomes, there are a lot of big popular tournaments that are three gamers. Are they going to start changing and becoming two game events all of a sudden? Or have you heard any feedback from that standpoint? The biggest and most popular all have TV tie-ins that kind of have a couple years of of a lock-in a little bit. I think they're going to be reactive. I hope they're reactive because unfortunately like that two game world is, is you're swimming in different waters. You know, there's promoters that come and go. There's, you know, you're waiting until August prior to get a TV deal signed for it. And, you know, we, we never want to be one of those teams where you're playing in just like this random invitational in a bad city. And, you know, again, non-conference scheduling is all about controlling what you can control. It's one of the few things in, in this whole crazy enterprise that you actually have deliberate and, and intentional control over. Your conference doesn't impact you. You get to sit in a room with your staff and, and make a decision about what's best for that team. So I hope the options continue to get better. You know, I, I think ESPN's working especially. You know, I love Fox. Nobody's better in terms of live broadcasts. You know, none of, you're not dealing with crazy streaming. All our games are in HD. You know, they deliver such a good product day in and day out. And I think their efforts in the tournament uh, enterprise have been a little behind. And, and hopefully at one point they'll catch up and they'll expand. But, you know, looking at ESPN, who's always been good to us in that space, Again, I, I hope they're reactive and, and they start firing out a lot of different options. Mario, circling back to the resume talk, one thing that I've heard from some other schools, coaches, is that the lack of transparency with the net has been frustrating for them. Just the fact that they don't know exactly what the formula is and how it will impact things as the season goes on. Is that something that you guys feel like you've got a good grasp on now at this point, or is it frustrating for you as well? It's really frustrating because something is not right with it. And, and I, I, I'm not smart enough to sit here and break down the, the logarithm behind it. But when you see swings like you see in February and even March, like it's just the, the body of work, the number of games that are factored into that, it doesn't make a lot of sense how you see a, a four or five, six, seven, you know, uh, ranking point swing after almost an unimpressive result. And, and, you know, I know there's like minute decimal points to where, okay, I get it. You can jump from 17 to, to nine. And, you know, you're not, all those teams were packed in really close, you know, 
I just wish there was more transparency. I wish the efficiency piece of it was really vetted and explained to the higher level. You know, I talked about us buying Bucknell and Wofford and teams like that. Like, we had such a sense of pride in playing great, great guarantee games. And even if you win by one or two, your team was tested. It was a great game to watch. It was a brand that you could follow. They might make the NCAA tournament. Are you telling me now the thing that's prioritized over that, over playing a Bucknell, is playing a team that's terrible and beating them by 40. What does that do? I mean, how does that identify the better teams? You know, the Seton Hall issue at the end of that game was ironic because it was one of the few blowouts we had late. And we didn't take our guys out because we had nobody really to put in. And they were still pressing. And God love our walk-ons. I mean, Brad Colbert's a great dude, but, like, we're not putting him in. In the, you know, at 8.30 at night and on Friday night in Newark, New Jersey to bring the ball up against Seton Hall's press. But, but if you looked at our, our net jump after that, it, that's the spirit of the net. There's teams that do that in the non-conference constantly. They're beating the hell out of teams, 30, 40, and they're 300-level teams that aren't any good. And then they sit in the, in the conference part of their schedule on those, and they help just as much as beating a really good mid-major on the road or beating a high major at home. That doesn't make sense to me. I'd love to be proven wrong. I think we all deserve evidence of, of just what is weighed over what isn't weighed. Um, because, again, I, I'm not sitting here advocating we game the system or take advantage of it. You could argue by buying Bucknell and Wofford, you were, ga- you were gaming the RPI. But, like, listen, if you're in the arena for those games, we've lost a couple of those games. You know, Florida Gulf Coast, we obviously beat those. But, like, games like that that were so good um, – from an opponent standpoint and, and to Paul's point earlier, they prepare you for March. They prepare you for conference play. Like I, I don't like the idea of getting rid of those for just complete bops. I don't think that's right. Well, Mario, you had made a point on Twitter, I don't know, a month or two ago about how to make just the sport in general, more exciting in December and in November, the, you know, the early portion of the non-conference and giving these teams and these schedulers like yourself, some more incentive to play those games. Is that kind of along those lines and in that same vein of what you're talking about? Yeah, again, and it's probably better for a, a, a postseason talk because I don't want to like crush college basketball in its most exciting day of the year. But, you know, college basketball has to really look at itself in terms of just how it's hanging in with other sports. You know, there's so many sports that are that are 12 months a year. You know, you look at college football, like both signing days are covered. Spring games are covered. You know, you're, you can be locked into that all year. The NBA never stops. It truly never stops. The finals happen. The draft, summer league, it's all on TV. NFL, same way. We have to be responsive to that. And I feel like we just kind of tiptoe out of the gate as college football is still firing. And it just it feels like a collision of a lot of bad decisions and and what i put on twitter was was kind of a surface comment but something has to be looked at to create a better environment around the start of the season you know my quick comment about expanding the tournament it's just like i don't know as special as we feel today Xavier nation how engaged we are i mean i don't know how many people are even listening to this but like there's so many schools that you know you look at yale today losing to princeton you know yale obviously go to the nit but it's like, how many campuses can you expose the, the excitement of college basketball to? How many communities can embrace college basketball? And if it comes at the cost of like going from 68 to 82, you know, I'd want a lot of smart people in the room to discuss, like, is that the best thing for the sport? You know, the other pieces, 
as you look at mid-majors and low-majors, their rosters are going to get decimated as NIL grows at the high-major level with the transfer rule. You know, what is the reward for a mid-major coach to really do a great job? You know, how can they keep their job? You know, Pat Kelsey has done a great job with NIL at College of Charleston. Awesome coach, awesome guy. But, you know, I'm not going to use specific to Pat as an example because I know he has stuff in place to, to keep his guys, you know, happy and content, but nobody else at that level does. And as you look, the best player on all these mid-majors, I mean, they are so ripe for the picking by high majors. And how is a guy like Mark Schmidt, a guy like Pat Kelsey, so many different great, excellent coaches at the mid-major level that care about their players, that do it the right way, that, that teach the game, what is the avenue for them to continue to have success at that level and, and build programs and is it expanding the tournament? I don't know. There's a lot that comes with that. but Well, yeah. Mario, I do, I do wonder, though, about that point because, you, you know, I mean, the main pushback to that is all of these conferences are getting bigger and bigger, the high major conferences. They're becoming these super conferences, or at least that is allegedly the plan down the line. And I think the concern that everybody has when they hear expand the tournament is that you're just going to put more high major teams with bad records into the tournament and they're going to become even more insular and not play any bid major teams, because why would you, as long as your metrics are good enough and your strength of schedule is good enough, there's going to be enough spots. So I guess when you said that you think high major teams would be more interested in scheduling interesting games, mid major games, rivalry type games, potentially, where does that come from? Because I don't think a lot of people see that. Well, I guess at the high major level you're, you're again, I said you're, it, you can have such intention with your non-conference. You control the controllable. And, and what we do now is we're, we have a maniacal approach to put ourselves in the best position available from the day we play games to who we're playing to where that game is at. And I do that. We do that because, again, the line to make it or miss it is so sharp. 68 teams, you know, however many at-large bids. If there's some forgiveness in that space and you add another game or two, coaches will relax that guard a little bit. So let's say we have two more games. Let's say it's an 86-game tournament. Is Xavier going to go to Cleveland and play, you know, an invitational with Akron, West Virginia, and, you know, Eastern Michigan? And I'm being so quick here with just talking through something. I know that doesn't sound like the most attractive weekend broadcasting option. But, you know, I think you'd see high majors go to mid-majors and play on their campus, which would be games that honestly would be really, really tough. I think you'd see... Again, if you expand and, and take the rigidity of way of like the MTE model where it's like you're going one every – you can only go to the same one every four years. You can only go to one a year, one team per conference. If there was a way to relax that a little bit, could you get more creative? You know, you've seen the aircraft carrier games. You've seen college football go to Ireland. You've seen different stuff like that. How do you accomplish all things in, in, in uh, almost at once by – Create incentives for high majors to play mid-majors, allowing mid-major coaches to keep their players, you know, pushing back a little bit on the transfer rule because you're experiencing some success. You know, it's just there are problems. And I hate, again, I hate saying problems on Selection Sunday because college basketball today feels as good as anything in the sports world. But there are issues around college basketball I think over the next couple of years need to be examined, talked through, and you have to look 10, 15, 20 years down the line. How are you holding on to these TV contracts? How are you incentivizing kids to play college basketball and not football you know how do you keep and not only keep but build your footprint in the in the sports world yeah well i look i like what you're what saying you're, I, I would like to agree with it i just 
I don't know that I believe maybe you and Xavier will do that. If you get a little more wiggle room to work with, I think other teams will actually just go even farther into what's already happening, which is shut out the mid majors as much as possible and keep the strength of schedule and the predictive metrics as high as possible. And, uh, and just have, you know, teams with losing records from the big 12 and the big 10 and the sec get into the tournament. Yeah. All very fair. And then you, Oh, you'd hope a committee rewards the right things. And again, as we talked about transparency, that's not there either with the net. It's a collision of a lot of different items. Mario, is there anything else that, that comes up on Selection Sunday for you when uh, you woke up today, you, you, you watched some of the coverage? Was there anything else that jumped out at you about where the sport is right now or, or just the nature of this year's NCAA tournament? No, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to be back. I'll say that. I'm so proud of this group, you know, to have a – a couple full circle moments. I mean, last night uh, we were in the same locker room at MSG that we were in for the preseason NIT or for the NIT finals. And, um, you know, to just look around that locker room at those guys and uh, just that sense of pride. I mean, I mean, everything we just talked about were, were reasons guys have to leave. And a lot of our guys had reasons and opportunities to leave. And, and they looked around that room and decided to stay and play for coach Miller and have faith in, you know, Xavier and, what we have going on here and to, to have that faith be rewarded uh, on a day like today is awesome, you know, and to be in the arena, however many days after coach was announced again, sitting in the almost the identical spot, identical setup, you know, last time we did that, we Jonas Hayes was our head coach and Sean was being introduced. And I looked at those guys faces and I, I know who Sean Miller is. You guys know who Sean Miller is, but, you know, to them, it was a guy from Arizona and they, they knew a little bit about him, not a lot about him. And, you know, for them to have faith in him, to have faith in us and for that faith to be rewarded, just just is such an awesome stamp and such a cool full circle moment that, you know, rewards that loyalty. And uh, it was really, really good to see. And the same thing for the fans. You know, it's just over the last four years, and this isn't the place to talk about it. There were there were just little moments where I felt like, you know, the luck that. I think you've seen on Victory Parkway and a couple other times and moments where, you know, it just wasn't there. I, I think back to Brian O'Connell's charge call. I think there's, you know, some of the injuries and different things, you know, if you don't acknowledge having good luck, you can't acknowledge having bad luck. So it's maybe luck's not the right word, but um, I, I'm excited for our fans. I'm excited for our team. It feels good to be back and uh, it'll be, uh, it'll be an exciting time. Going, going back to Greensboro, a lot of good memories there. Um, two two great games down there and i remember being on the sideline with with former manager joe sullivan as lehigh beat duke and he was hustling to go get our team ready i said man just sit here for a couple minutes and you you got to watch these guys leave the court and as you knew that you you know had a big game against notre dame to get to that round of 32 to play lehigh cj mccollum believe it or not zach freemantle was on that uh, jack freemantle's cousin was on that leak the lehigh team we played there in greensboro and uh then to advance and move on to a sweet 16. Just excited to get back down there and hopefully we can replicate that run. Well, Mario, look, thank, thank you for hopping on here at the last minute like this. And look, I know your job has become exponentially more difficult over the last few weeks since you guys decided to change the school colors to Royal blue. Um, so I know we'll have to get you back on to talk about the new jerseys and everything that you'll be doing with the, the new Royal blue color, but we do appreciate you stopping by either way. I'll tell you what, after last night, those Royal blue jerseys, man, we got to, uh, we might need to take them over to Father B and have him bless them and see if we can get those things revived. Because, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Full Thanks, skin. Mario. Fellas, appreciate it. Everybody listening, a couple of exciting days ahead. Appreciate all the support all year, and we'll catch up with you guys soon. All right. All, all right. right, Mario. All right. Later. All right. Well, how about that, Paul? Well, thanks for doing that, Rick. That was great. Fantastic. Um, man, he, I, I don't know how much, I, I think he kind of hit all the big points there and I don't know how much you really want to go into all of that, but I thought he, uh, I, I think that's really interesting pointing that out about going back down from the three to the two game MTEs, which is what Xavier's going to do this coming year down in Savannah. Yeah, that's something I've heard a lot about, not just from the high major level, but mid-major coaches are saying the same thing. It just does not make sense. And part of the problem you run into, I think, is like Mario's talking about, some of these teams, it's so early in the season, you get into three games in three days, maybe you have someone who's banged up a little bit or they have a nagging injury or something. Now, all of a sudden, that third game, you might be resting people, you know, it might just become a glorified scrimmage. And not that there's no value in that that time of year, but I think a lot of teams are looking at that as like, we're sometimes just throwing away that extra game. Three games in three days just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not what we do all season long uh, until our conference tournament potentially. So uh, I think a lot of teams are going to be moving away from that for a multitude of reasons. Um, so let's do this, Paul. Let's go ahead and, and get anybody in here who wants to talk, wants to call. We'll go back to more 5150. I see he's requested back in. If you want to get in, you want to talk about what Mario just laid out, you want to talk about uh, Xavier Seed, any of the things that we've talked about to this point, by all means, jump in here, request in. We'll take your call. We also will go a little bit more in depth with Kennesaw State and their personnel, and, and we can get into that. If you guys want to ask questions about that, I have done uh, some research already, so we can talk about that as we continue on. And, and one other note I do want to make, I know you guys have heard me saying it the last two nights, but musketeerreport.com is running a 50% off sale right now. So if you like this content, you like getting insights from people like Mario Mercurio, who is nice enough to join us, not just here, but also on the premium message board and website at different times throughout the year, and lots of other different types of content that we are planning to do and we hope to be able to do with your guys' support please consider signing up to musketeerreport.com right now. Again, 50% off an annual subscription. If you already subscribe, you're the best. I appreciate you. And I'll say a, a retweet goes a long way. Uh, before we take a call, I just, I, I got to mention it. Villanova is unseated in the NIT and going to play at Liberty in the first round this, uh, this week on Tuesday night. That's just, I don't know. It's just wild to see that pop up on the screen after oh, watching a, Villanova for so I'm long. I'm sure it's exactly what Jay Wright had envisioned when he handed the program over to Kyle Neptune. Yeah, Cincinnati's going to play at home on nine, at nine on uh, Wednesday night against Virginia Tech. All right, let's uh, let's go to the calls. Let's get back to more. Um, and I see Ryan is also in here. And if anybody else has it, just request in more. Go ahead. Me all for. Sorry, oh. we had to do it. We had to do. I mean, here's the thing. You were asking us questions that he was going to be able to better answer. So it was like, let's just go to Mario and then we'll come back to the calls. How about I mean, God, could a guy be any more boring than the things that he talked about just now? I can't. Are you being serious or I can't really tell what we're what we're doing? I'm here. being so unserious. That was fantastic. Oh, OK. Oh, all right. <laughs> I, I didn't know where we were going with this. No. More. That, like seemed like a, an awkward call. All of a sudden. No, no, no. That was fantastic. I mean, hearing anything from Mario was outstanding. I've loved it when you when he's he's been on the show before when you didn't do the live things. Uh, just hearing him talk about getting the inside scoop on all the stuff, especially the scheduling is uh, I, I find it fascinating. 
Um, I tell you what, you've got a great deadpan voice right there. Me, neither was, Paul or I, I had, had any me. idea if you were being serious. You had or not. Me. I had no yeah. clue. Believe me, my uh, my students think the same thing. They don't know when I'm serious uh, or when I'm joking <laughs> around. So, uh, so what do you teach? Uh, I teach. Uh, I'm actually an assistant principal, but I also uh, teach sixth grade social studies and math. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. All right. And in, uh, in one of the local schools here in Cincinnati. So, um, so uh, I guess what what I was talking to you about before was about the the, the movement of the the seed line for UConn and for and for us. Um, I I wonder if it had something to do with that. I mean, it might it might not have. They might have just looked at the fact that hey, X beat these guys twice. Uh, you know, during the regular season, uh, their the rest of their resume looks pretty similar. Uh, I think that they had a they had a higher net than us. Um, so I, I was a little, I was a little surprised by the three seed, but Hey, I'll take it. Um, I like our matchup with Kennesaw state. I don't, I, we, we should, we should win by easily double digits, uh, against that team. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to jinx us any in that case. Uh, and the, the early, the early line is 12 and a half. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know the the one the one concern is maybe they're they have a pretty high three point percentage, but I don't think they take a lot of threes. They just they shoot them really well, which is really kind of mind boggling. You know if you if you shoot them as a team at thirty seven percent, why would you why would you not take more of them? Well, 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 more. Let me let me uh, push back to you with an example you might be pretty familiar with. Um, does Savior's offense ring a bell this year? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, they're so so that's how they do it, right? They're they're only taking good ones because they only have one guy who's really a top tier shooter, and they play through him on the offensive end a lot. And the other guys are well coached, and they're playing within the system, and they're playing to their role. It's a it's a very similar thing in terms of their three point shooting to what Xavier's doing this year. They're not going to shoot a lot of them, but they shoot a high percentage because they take good looks and they only let their good shooters shoot. That makes sense then. So, uh, you know, good for them. Uh, they, it doesn't sound like they have much of an inside presence. I think a lot, they do a lot of driving to the basket, I guess, from what I, from just a little bit that I've heard uh, from them and maybe some kickouts from from driving to the basket. Their, their little guard sounds like he's uh, he's pretty quick. Uh, you know, that could that could pose some problems for us when it comes to being able to guard, you know, someone like that. Um but if I'm yep. if I'm allowed to move to the next round, that is the one that that I'm looking at. That I'm thinking, okay, which of those three teams, uh, Mississippi State, uh, Pitt, or Iowa State, would you guys feel most comfortable with us matching up with? I think if I'm Xavier, I would like to play Pitt. Yep. Because Pitt is good offensively, but not as good as Xavier, and they're terrible defensively. Yeah, I was think I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking Pitt as well. Well, well I don't want that, that. Would be my choice. Yeah, I, I don't want to. And then and then moving forward, I I want to keep the eye on on what's directly ahead of us, uh, Kennesaw State, and then uh, and then whatever's next in the in the round of thirty two, I. I, I love the idea of thinking about the Sweet 16 and who we would match up with and all, but I really just want to I just want to make sure that we get there. So if we stay focused on on uh, on the game on Friday, then then and then whatever comes up on on Sunday, then and then we can we can talk the next week about 
about what the matchups are if we happen to win there. But I wanted to throw you out another stat. It's really kind of unrelated to anything when it comes to the tournament. Um, other than the fact of the talk last night about whether we would get matched up with Dayton. And I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Xavier has beaten their last matchup with every major team in Ohio. Major college, Actually, I think any Ohio college basketball team that Xavier has played, the last time they've played those teams, Xavier has won. All right. That's a good stat. I don't. I never know. You guys throw out these stats, and thanks for the call, more Appreciate it. Um, you guys throw out these stats to me, and I'm always just like, yeah, that's great, because I have no idea if they're real, and I'm not going to research them while we're <laughs> live doing a show. And then someone will always point out the broadcast, like, actually, that guy was wrong. It's like, yeah, I don't care. I mean, this is like, thanks. It's, it's a nice stat. I don't, I don't know what you want us to do with stats when you give them to us other than say, oh, it's cool. Uh, but yeah, thank thank you for that. Um, also, was was Moore's call actually longer than Mario's, or were they about the same length? You <laughs> I'll tell you what, Moore had me. I thought we were about to have a situation on our hands. He had me. I did too. I thought I thought he was just like mad that we took Mario's call for a second. I was like, this guy's wild. Yeah. Uh, but all, all right, right, let's Ryan. go to Ryan. Yep. Go ahead. Appreciate Ryan. it, fellas. Uh, Rick, sorry about last night. I was just frustrated and I was just so rattled. Um, that all just. I don't even remember what we're talking about, but I I accept your apology. Sounds good. Well, first off, I wanted to say uh, uh, I jumped out of my seat tonight when I saw the 3C. That was fantastic. Um, Absolutely lost it. But my question, I've got two. One of my buddies actually wants to know. We both caught it. So what is this uh, tournament we got going on next year down in Savannah? Is that supposed to be publicly announced already or? Yes. yes. So they've already uh, the the it's at that new arena down in Savannah. I don't know the dates of it yet. Um, nothing's official on that end. I think Boston College is the only other team that we know of for sure in the field. Maybe Georgia. I've seen. I thought Georgia was supposed to be in it. Did they pull out? Maybe. Oh, did they? I'm not sure. I'm, I was just wondering when you said you didn't say Georgia. I was wondering if maybe something changed there. But I. Okay, well, then maybe it's Georgia that's in and Boston College was the rumor, and we don't know the fourth. I know Boston College and Georgia are the two names that we've uh, heard kicked around, and it is a two-game tournament. Um, I've heard Thanksgiving week, but I don't know which days of Thanksgiving week, and I'm pretty sure this is the first iteration of it because it is, um, it's, at, it's at that new arena. Awesome. All right, well, that definitely solves that question. Now, now to the uh, March question. Uh, real, we bought, me and my uh, dad already bought tickets. We're headed down to Greensboro, so I'm pretty ecstatic about that one. Got a little nervous that we saw Kentucky there on Sunday as well, so because tickets will probably be outrageous if they end up beating Providence, but we'll see. Who knows? But, uh, no, my question is really for both of you. You know, it, obviously we need the whole team to play well, um, especially with the limited bench, but who is your guys' X factor and – who needs to really take the reins? Because you got a lot of uh, seasoned vets on the team. Who's got to be the guy to take the reins and take over and lead this team if we're talking about some Clark Kellogg Final Four kind of things? I think both of those answers are really simple for me. Desmond Claude is the X factor. And Colby Jones is the guy that has to lead this team down the stretch. To me, there's no other answer. Like, Sule Boom will be there. He'll be their leading scorer more than likely or at least up there, and he may have some clutch plays. I'm not saying that he won't be uh, still a go-to option on offense, but if they're going to make a run, I would even say to the Elite Eight, they need Colby Jones to be the NIT of Colby Jones from last year or the Colby Jones we saw the last few games of this season. 
if he's not that, I can't see this team making a run to the Elite Eight or beyond. Yeah, and you know the other answer there, which I, I probably would have had the same two answers, but somebody who emotionally is as invested in this is just anybody you'll ever see. Um, and somebody that I'm looking for on the defensive end to keep up what he had been doing here lately is uh, is Adam Kunkel because he had been playing better on that end of the floor and we know he had struggled there before. And, uh, you know, somebody like him that goes a million miles an hour all the time and wears his heart on his sleeve and, and uh, can just tell as, as emotionally invested into this as he has been in his entire career. I mean, he's played in the NCAA tournament before he played there. uh, He played in it when he was with Belmont. So he's one of the, is he the only player Rick on this roster with tournament experience? Did Nunji get in there with Iowa? I uh, had to have because he was with Garza. Yeah, okay. and I don't know that he would have. He didn't play probably at that point because I think he had a knee injury, maybe. But yeah, that was the year he got hurt. So is 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 Kunkel the only player that has actually played a minute in the NCAA tournament on that's this team? Wild. You might I be. think that's, that's right. Wild. I think that's right. I I think it is. So so you know, Rick's answer would be my answer. But if you just want me to to throw you a bone outside <laughs> of that, and somebody that's stepped up and hit big shots at different times and and uh, could use his his defensive effort here, that would uh, be a third guy. Oh, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, those are great answers. Obviously, you know, you could go any of the six or six and a half guys that were we got playing and whatnot. So appreciate you fellas doing this. I can't wait till where all the Xavier fans will be watching uh, Thursday basketball. Watch those Norse beat uh, Houston on Thursday too, as well. So. Hell yeah, yeah, brother. Go Muskies. North, North up. up. All, All right. right. Appreciate it, Ryan. Let's go to I don't know uh, what ha- I don't know what I did to Ryan last night. I must have said something snarky back to him. I apologize for that. Well, was he um, was he was he cussing and you had you to gotta like, understand, guys. Like w- these calls come in and then they end and like I I move on. There's however many there are per show. I don't take any of it personally, and I don't remember who you are individually for the most part, unless you're like a, a nut job like Cap or something. Or Jerome Hunter fan club, of course. All right, Joey, what's going on? Uh, hey, Rick. Uh, really enjoying the live so far. Um, first thing that I wanted to bring up is at Centos Center when we were announced in our bracket, um, my heart kind of sunk a little bit. Um, later on, I realized because of the uh, the bracket that we, that we are in uh, currently, as the Field of 68 called it uh, on their live stream today, it's the grinder bracket. Uh, this is going to be really tough with uh, Texas and Houston really preying on an upset from A&M, Penn State, and, uh, and or Colgate. But those are all really, really tough teams. Well, I mean, fair, but like, let's be realistic here. If we're talking about one seeds and two seeds, they're all tough. Yeah. There isn't an easy out in the one or two seed line. So, like, if you're getting to that point where you're in the Elite Eight and we have to talk about, uh, well, I guess at Sweet 16 you would face Texas. But if you get to the point where you're to the second weekend and we have to talk about the difficult matchup you have with Texas, I think every Xavier fan in the world is going to be fine with that. Like, to, to me, the bigger concern, especially with a team like this year, which, um, you know, Xavier's had a great season. And I think they could definitely make a run. But at the same time, I don't think anyone came into this year with the same expectations you had back when Xavier had their ones. Mm-hmm. It's not like that, where you're where you're looking forward to what's the route to the final four going to be for this yeah. team. This team, you're looking, do they have a chance to make the second weekend and really make this thing fun for the fans? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that with the setup that they have, I think is overwhelmingly yes. I mean, Kennesaw State and then probably Iowa State 
I, I think that's about as well as you can possibly do for your first two games if you're yeah. No, hundred percent. Um, yeah, obviously very grateful for the year that we've had. Very excited. Um, but it, I, yeah, it is going to be a tough, a tough road. And, uh, obviously I hope that we can go as far as we can go. Uh, my second point, the other reason why my heart sunk, uh, I've over the past eight years had the misfortune of watching probably more pit basketball than anybody in this live. And I will tell you that they are not a easy team, especially if they get past Mississippi state and Iowa state, that means they're shooting the ball. Well, and I tell you what, man, they shoot the ball. That is all that they do. And uh, I can go more in depth tomorrow if we get that 12-hour live stream. I'm praying on it. Everybody, please subscribe right now to Musketeer <laughs> Report. Um, but, yeah, man, I literally no offense other than just shooting threes. And uh, just had to put that piece out there, and uh, we'll see. All right. Good deal, Joey. Appreciate the call. Paul, do you have any more calls? Uh, I do not see any more calls in here right now. All right. We do have a great request right here. Jerome, Jerome Hunter Fan Club. Hey, first and foremost, all thanks and praise to our Lord and Savior, Jerome Hunter. Amen. I, I, I'll say the three seed surprised me. I've, I don't think the, the springs in my couch have worked harder when I jumped out of my couch at surprise, nor do my downstairs neighbors are probably happy with me with how much I was jumping. But wow. I guess, you know, I guess the whole beating UConn twice really helped us out. I don't think there's any doubt. And that made sense to me all along, but I just didn't see based on how everyone had Xavier needing to climb at least two spots on the S curve for the most part, how that was going to happen. No, I, you know, and I think you take Mario's comments into hand where he was talking about, well, when it gets into these debates, it's like a layer by layer situation. So, I mean, maybe this entire, maybe it was a really close debate between the two, because obviously they're, right next to each other on the seed line. Maybe they had to really go down to basically the head-to-head matchup to pick it out from. But but thanks well, a lot, too, for getting Mario on. That was awesome. Yeah, that Mario was great, and that uh, I honestly had nothing to do with that. That was just uh, Mario's generosity, actually. Texted me and uh, said he was available. So, um, as far, uh, well, I'm sorry. Do you have anything else that you wanted to ask first? I was, well, I was just going to ask about your overall uh, takeaways, thoughts on the tournament, anything stand out to you outside of Xavier's region or Northern Kentucky, if you want to talk about that. Uh, yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. I was hosting NKU's selection show tonight, so I basically did that, came straight home, started looking up some Kennesaw State stuff to post on the board, uh, looked at a few other things, and then hopped on here. So like, in terms of the overall bracket, I've hardly looked at it. I'm not a big bracket guy anyway. I never fill out well, a bracket. I haven't since I was like 12. What? So well, give, me, give me your thoughts on Northern Kentucky then. I love because I feel I think that's a I think that could be a good matchup. I I'm interested in it at least. Here's the issue I see for NKU. Aside from the obvious that they're playing a uh, one seed, their biggest struggles this year have come when Marquez Warwick can't get open, can't get free. They're heavily relying upon him on the offensive end. They he's gotten some more help at the end of the year. But if he just can't even free himself and he's not the biggest, strongest, most athletic guy. So that's one of his weak spots, I would say. Then he really struggles and the team tends to struggle in general against Houston. They just have nothing but all these tough, athletic, interchangeable defenders at the guard spots. It's concerning. I mean, maybe if Marcus Sasser is struggling with his groin and they decide not to play him, 
or something like that, then maybe you, you like that opportunity a little bit more. But between their defense on the perimeter against Marquez, Warwick, and then Juris Walker on the offensive end, a one-and-done talent who 6'8", 240 pounds. We saw what he just did to UC in the semifinals of the American Athletic Conference Tournament. I uh, I think that's going to be a difficult matchup. But but any of the one seats would have been. Yeah, I I, I just I saw that and I was like, okay, that I would at least give them some sort of chance. And obviously, I'd be rooting for them, so I like to believe in the impossible. So the, the the way I like to look at it is Xavier is I mean NKU excuse me is undefeated against the American Athletic Conference this year. They are playing against a team that is going to play low possession, low scoring. Maybe it'll be a. 30 to 30 game, uh, 30 minutes in, and you, they'll, for dumb reasons, they'll just have a chance. Um, and other than that, I, I think that's about all I got. I mean, good vibes all around, right? Hey, I like I've always said, you always trust the data, and that data you just said right there never lies. No, I would agree. I, I would be remiss if I didn't make a quick mention of the NIT. We have some amazing matchups. A potential Rutgers-Steen Hall matchup down the line is huge. We have a big match in Clifton. Wednesday night at nine. If you're not there, you obviously do not enjoy college basketball. Um, but I think who is UC we, playing? Virginia uh, Tech. Vatech or Virginia Tech. Oh wow! Uh, former Wright State big man Grant Basili leading so, yeah. charge for the Hokies. Let's just say this: Clifton is the place to be Wednesday night here in Cincinnati. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention the biggest matchup: a re- a repeat from the war between Michigan and Ohio. Toledo versus Michigan, I believe Tuesday night. I mean, I would. Toledo can score it now. Toledo, I mean, there might be more Toledo fans in Ann Arbor than there are Ann Arbor fans that show up. <laughs> no, sure. Let's just say this. I mean, I think the March Madness selection show got up by the NIT selection show. I mean, they had Tom Crean on. What else and do you want? Wojo. Don't forget Wojo. That's that's big time. That's big time. Yeah. It's just like a. a Marquette graveyard of coaches over there. <laughs> At some point, Buzz Williams will just join them and they'll do a whole studio by themselves. Well, that's all I got to say, guys. Thank you as always for hosting these. Uh, Cleveland State severely underseated in the CBI. Thank you. See you, Jerome. All right, let's. You want to? You want to go to Doc? Yeah, if Doc's hanging on. I don't see any callers, so got, uh, got, my whole thing I must got be screwed. Doc, up. I got John Carter, and I got uh, one other. I think just tell John Carter, it'll be a PM game so we can skip him. Just get, take Doc's call. Oh, dear. all right. Let's take Doc. Come on. Doc. There we are. <laughs> Go ahead, Doc. I like the PM joke. Oh my God. I'm like everybody else. First, I have to apologize for getting in late. Uh, you know, I got back from New York and I had some things to do and I couldn't get here on time. You're right on time. So Doc. anyway, number one, New York city and the, Big East tournament was just fantastic. I don't know if you covered that ground because of the excitement today, but, oh, it was so cool. I mean, it was Madison Square Garden on Friday night, uh, p- particularly the last five minutes of the first game was just f-ing electric. I mean, it was just unbelievably loud, fun, exciting, uh I can tell you this, UConn, I've, I have a new fan base I hate, UConn. They are really nasty. That just started for you, I, Doc? Well, I've never paid attention to UConn. You know, they you know, they live on the other 
part of the hemisphere, you know. They don't they're not in my world, but they they're so entitled acting the kids. They were turning around I mean it was so childish and immature. I what what did Danny Hurley say? We own uh, Madison yeah, Square Garden. Own, and, they, and they were all they, they were acting like that. It was just ridiculous. Da- Danny Hurley saying his team owns Madison Square Garden their second year in the league, or what stupid. is this their third? Yeah. I mean, I mean, after a quarterfinal win when they've haven't done anything, it's just incredible. It's such a hurly thing to do. It's like fantastic. I was getting, and then them bowing out the next game was shit. I was kiss. getting so pissed at this one kid who was just acting like a total <laughs> to Marquette fans. Uh, I oh, almost no. got, I mean, I was getting out of my seat. I put on my brass knuckles. I was about ready to rock and roll. And, and my female companion said, do you want to stay for the next game? <laughs> because you, they may throw you out if you punch that kid. I, I, so I calmed down. But anyway. Sounds like you got a good one with you, Doc. Oh, man. Madison Square Garden was great. The Big East Tournament was great. Oh my God, I loved it, you know. And but the, one other thing about that: at the end of our game, after we beat Creighton, the fan energy of the Xavier fans—I haven't seen anything that good since Atlanta. You know, when we went to Atlanta, uh, the game before Duke—I think that was Mississippi, that was, wasn't it? Tech, Texas, Texas, right? Wasn't that was it? Texas. After we beat yep. them. And, and the Xavier fans were just so excited. And that's the way it was leaving. I, I mean, walking out of Madison Square Garden, Xavier people doing chants. How cool is that in New York City? Give, give us an example of a chant they I were doing, one. Doc. I, I led Do one going down the escalator. Do I gave, give me an X. And screamed it as loud as I could. These people turned around. Oh, I see what we're doing. And they gave me the X back. Give me an A. And they gave it back to me. Give me a V. They gave it back. And it went on. Oh, man. Everybody was, it was electric. We were so excited and so proud to be a Xavier Musketeer. It was exciting. It was wonderful. Doc, are you crying? Uh, no. Okay. I was just losing, <laughs> I was losing my breath here a little bit. You know? Uh, we heard yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. So there's that. And I'm like everybody else when that three came on. It was like, am I seeing that right? I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I never, nobody expected it. I did the same thing. I had to squint because I was kind of far away from the TVs where I was <laughs> at, at NKU. And I, I was like, is that, does that say 314? <laughs> sure enough. And, and then I was looking at the who we were going to play and then who we would play probably next and who was in the bracket. And I was like, you know, we this looks a lot, this could be a sweet sixteen. And then I thought this could be an elite eight. You know, I, I'm, I don't think. I think if Adam and Paul and Rick sat down and drew up a dream draw, it wouldn't have been any better than that. That's how good we got. That was, yeah. I mean. I, I said it earlier, literally the only thing that I can look at that maybe you would have changed would, would have been UCLA instead of Texas. But yeah, that's point. what I would do too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, but, but I mean, you'll take that if it's a, the sweet 16 uh, game, you you're changing out. And honestly, like between, I mean, you just got hammered by Marquette. I don't know if you really want to play them again. Right. And uh, you wouldn't be able to anyway, because obviously they're in the same right. conference. And then Arizona is the other game, which, you know, I'm sure, uh, 
the the tournament makers would have loved to have that matchup with Sean going up against Arizona. Maybe it was just a little bit too soon to bust that one out just yet. Maybe they're saving that one for a, a year or two to come from now. But um, Arizona would have been a difficult one too because they they play a similar right. style as Xavier. Right. They get up and down. They score really well. And I do think they have a little bit more talent. Plus, they have some really good size inside. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, you would have preferred UCLA as your optimal situation, but Texas is probably number two out of the two seeds. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. But we can handle it. We can. Okay. I got another question for you. It's the question. Uh, it's the, it's a question. Who is a bigger, oh. are we a, a bigger Dayton or North Carolina? Both saying, oh, we're too good to play in the NIT. We can't do it. What they are is they're afraid <laughs> they'll get their asses kicked in the NIT. Well, you know what? What's interesting, actually, about that one, Doc, is I don't think Dayton would have even made the <laughs> anyway, and I think they got out in front of it. I honestly think they would. I think they got out in front of it. North Carolina is different because they would have been a number one seed, but I don't think Dayton would have even really? made the NIT based on the way they made their statement and the timing of it, and the way the NIT teams are are informed of you know whether they want to accept the bid or not. I don't think the and the way that they worded their statement too. I did not get the impression that they would have been in the field, but maybe I maybe I'm wrong. But that's that's this is the equivalent of Brian Snow back in the day saying that he wasn't available to date Kate Upton. (laughs) That's what this was. It's like, yeah, I'm withdrawing my name from consideration of dating Kate Upton. Yeah, that's exactly what Dayton did. That is so lame. uh, We're we're too good to be in the NIT. Yeah, and that statement. Well, Cincinnati Cincinnati can afford it, though, because they've got all that Big 12 money coming in. So they can afford – next year they'll be in the CBI, and you have to pay your own way to that. They'll easily be able to afford Oh, my God. It's just crazy. Man, it's crazy. Man, we're going to have some fun this week, aren't we? We are going to have some fun. If you say so, oh, Doc. I'm ready to. Man, uh, you know, we, we know we're going to win Friday. And, you know, I got a, I got a good feeling. That, the, that on Sunday, we're going to do it again. Doc, are you going down to Greensboro? I haven't decided yet. I haven't okay. decided yet. At a certain point, it becomes financial. Sure. You know? And also, I have some commitments, you know? But okay. uh, I want to go. But uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, you know? But, right. uh, but there's going to be a, a lot of musketeers there. Yeah, there will yeah. be. There absolutely yeah. will be. Uh, and, and as... And in closing, as bad and nasty as the UConn fans are, the Marquette fans are the exact opposite. They were great, gracious, cool. Of course, they were loud, you know, and cheering for their team. But they weren't, like, giving you the finger and acting stupid. <laughs> UConn. That's good. I am a, I'm a – they have, they have surpassed. How many fingers would you say you got? I got from the one guy, he, he, he actually did flip me the bird. Inside mm, disgusting. Garden. If he only, what if a disgusting he only act. knew how bad I would kick his <laughs> if he only had, oh, if he had any idea. Tell me about I used to box gold gloves. <laughs> you nope. know? So, uh, you know, I, I got a feeling this little twerp from Greenwich, Connecticut with an entitlement trust fund would have had his kicked seriously anyway i gotta settle down relax been, doc your heart's beating a little it's, fast it's, it's been a long day oh it's great to be a xavier fan thanks guys love you all thank Bye-bye. you doc
All right. All right. That's the doc. Let's uh, let's take these last few calls here kind of quick, Rick, since we've all been here for a while on here already. And then uh, let's get back to Kennesaw State and, and wrap it up. Sounds good to me. I'm going to go with a couple of these guys that, that I see. Um, but, yeah, go ahead. Well, first off, I, I hope Doc Rock's heart is okay. He got a little anxious there. And I'm glad his sexy, hot wife was able to defend him in the stands at MSG so he didn't beat up the UConn fans. Does Doc have an actual wife? Is that true? I would hope yes, so. Yes, I met her. I met oh. her at the airport on Tuesday. I, thought, I just thought he had, like, you know, flings. I didn't know he actually married someone. But, uh, yeah, I would say the blue pill had kicked in already tonight. For sure. And uh, <laughs> second off, I would uh, – I would say besides Xavier, of course, because we're going to win this whole title, which Big East team do you think makes the deepest run? Ooh, uh, Creighton is my answer, I, I think. Agree. I, agree. Uh, I Because Providence, Providence is going to have a tough one against UK. Now, I mean, Mar- Marquette's got a pretty nice draw, boys. Marquette, Michigan State, let's get through. Michigan State concerns me. Michigan State. I, mean, I guess. Then Kentucky. Then, yeah, may, okay. I mean, if All Kentucky right. is still around by then. Yeah, well, that's Bryce true. Hopkins is going to drop 60, so. Yeah, like there's well, – yeah, what happens when Providence beats Kentucky on Friday night? Because Very well could happen. That's very much on the table here. That, that game, like, I, I could not rule anything out. 30-point yeah. win either way would not surprise me. Great game. Anything. Yep. And right. yeah, go one, ahead. One last thing. One last yeah. thing is I live in Bowling Green, which is Western Kentucky, the college here. And uh, the rumor going around is Darren Horn is going to leave NKU and come back to the tops. Uh-oh. So we'll see. Uh-oh. Sorry to say that. Go X, baby. Rick? No comment. Paula, how are you? Good. How are you, Paul? Welcome back. Because Rick couldn't see my Fantastic. Rick couldn't see my calls the last four nights. Because, this is true. Yeah. I could I could not bring Paula on. I could not bring a Musky fan on. Well, we had some issues the last well, few nights, Paul, and not because not because I didn't want them on, but I they just didn't even show up. Like I, yeah, I've seen I've seen a few dropping in and out. So I'm I'm trying to get people as they come on here. When I like see I said, them. Twitter nowadays is being run by band aids, rubber band, and you know, bubble gum. So, I mean, it's, I, th- I think it's just an issue that Twitter is having. Um, so like, let's go. B- and I don't, I've been kind of listening tonight. Um, let's go back though to the preseason and Paul and Rick, I don't mean to uh, put you down when I say this, but when you did like the preseason, like, Hey, how many games are Xavier going to win? Blah, blah, blah. I believe you guys both said like best case scenario was going to be a six seed. Right? Was that what? Okay. Yes. I, I, yeah, I think okay. I had a six. Oh my God, we ended up as a three. Okay. And then, like, Clark Kellogg is like picking us to go to the final four. Like, this is beyond all of our wildest expectations. And it's like, I didn't know what to do with my hands tonight when I saw all this because it was just like, did we think it was going to be coming back to this level this quick with Sean? Because I didn't. No. No, I just didn't think they had the, the talent this year to do it. Now, Sule Boom was a huge addition. I don't think anybody knew what to expect from him, and he has been so good. Yeah, Rick, what happens but, when Sean gets talent? And I'm not – I love these right? guys. I love these guys. But Sean's going to be able to recruit at probably the highest level we're going to ever going to see at Xavier. 
Like what? What's going to happen to this team when that happens? Well, well, here here's the point that I made, Paula, the other day uh, when we were doing this space, and it's not even so much the level because you know you look at Colby Jones and some of these guys on this team that were already right. high level right. recruits. Right. It's the fact that they aren't his yes. guys. They aren't. They aren't the guys that he wanted on this team. They're the guys that he he could have cleaned house here. But he said, hey, look, we have enough talent on this team that I know I can do something with. And he stuck with well, these and guys. And I also think, too, it's the players stuck with him, right? Like, when Sean came on, I think the fan base kind of braced because we were like, okay, how many guys were going to go, right? How many guys were going to leave? I, I I think a huge part of this fan base thought Zach was going to leave. Um, and when every one of them, except, you know, Dewan said, Hey, we're going to come back and we're going to be part of this. I think that it's, you know, Sean talked to these kids and he laid out what his vision was. And he got, he got those kids to believe in that vision. He got those guys to believe that, Hey, you know, if you play my style, I mean, just look at Jerome Hunter, right? the total 180 turn he did this year. I think it's a testament to both Sean and to both players, just what they did for this program, you know, this year and taking them Xavier back to where this program has been. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, and I think looking at the way that this is set up this year, that um, it's funny talking about um, adjusting expectations because, (laughs) because, if you go back even a month ago, I think anybody would have said, oh, you know, uh, Sweet 16 would be cool or a or a, even winning a game would be cool. And now all of a sudden we're sitting here at 11 o'clock on Selection Sunday night and you're looking at Kennesaw State, potentially a middle-of-the-road Iowa State team, and then maybe Texas to go to an Elite Eight. And now all of a sudden you're looking at Clark Kellogg picking – Xavier to go to the final four, which in my mind, uh, look, I know it's, it's pundits on TV for ratings and reviews and it gets all the fans happy. But if that was Xavier and Gonzaga in the final four, Xavier's playing in the national championship. They're not losing to Gonzaga twice in a row. I have watched way too many grainy streams of Gonzaga this year, 1130 at night while I'm recording the rebound rundown to know that Xavier would win that game if they got a, a, a rematch with that team. Um, so I just it, – it is just very funny sitting here adjusting expectations to now looking at, oh, oh, okay. They uh, they can do The this. national pundits have those expectations for us, again, is just like unreal, right? It's not just yeah. us. It's like other people are noticing as well, right? Yep. Um, you guys, I think I said the exact words that – I can't see Xavier finishing like 15 and five or something this year in conference. I think I said those exact <laughs> words on our preview show. Yeah. I mean, I kind of made this joke the last couple of days on Twitter. So if people saw this, I apologize, but Rick and Paul and, and if Adam would have came out and said, Hey, you're going to be the two seed in the big East and you're going to be a three seed in the tournament. And you know, uh, you're going to win the biggest championship game in the beginning of the season. We all would have asked what they were drinking while they were doing the pod or what we, they were smoking. We would have asked that question. We would have been like, well, what are you got? You guys are just being homers. We would have said that, but that's what ended up happening. Yep. Exactly. So now here we are time to time. It's go time. And one last thing to everyone. Alabama to me has the toughest bracket. I get that the number one overall seed, but I, I, I 
to me, they have the toughest overall bracket, which is kind of surprising because I thought as the number one overall seed, you're supposed to have a little bit easier bracket. Yeah. Yep. All right. Mm. Thanks, Paula. Thanks. Oh. I don't. I don't know. Uh, wh- where's that coming from? Do you, like, are you valuing Virginia, or are you just thinking that bottom half? No. Um. I think. Uh. And he's not on here, but the Twitter account Fake Blue Blob. If you you follow him, it's something like eight out of the top twenty-two Kenpon seeds are in that bracket, or something. It's something ridiculous. Like a lot of high-ranked Kenpon teams are in that bracket. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I mean, the bottom half is tough for sure, but they only have to face one of those teams eventually. Right. And, I mean, by the time you get to the end of your regional, you you know, you expect to be playing someone pretty pretty right. good. So I the, 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 their little pod, I mean, Maryland or West Virginia, neither one scare me for Alabama. And then you get to that next round, and, I mean, there's a decent chance you're facing a, a mid-major in San Diego State, Charleston, or Furman. I mean, Virginia may break through, but if that's the case, Alabama runs them out of the gym. I don't think that's even it, remote. It might be close. San Diego State because San Diego State, I think, has good Ken Palm numbers. Yeah, I, I, I watch a lot of Mountain West, um, and let's just say I I'm not huge on San Diego right. State. Like I think I think they are talented um, and that they do have some metrics, but in terms of winning games against quality opponents, I have some concerns about some of the things they do. So I could very easily see them being a popular five twelve upset prediction. Right. And, um, and then, you know, whether that happens or not, we'll see, but th- I wouldn't be surprised at all. If Virginia doesn't make it past that second round as right. well. No. And I understand about the metrics. I mean, UConn has tremendously good metrics and I, my head was hurting when most of the bracket predictors had like UConn ahead of Xavier, and I, I, that one kind of just confused me. I think it's because we've beat them twice in a head-to-head. But when I was seeing like all this love for UConn and that Xavier wasn't getting as much, that one because like to me the eye test UConn doesn't pass it. They they don't have the guard play for the tournament. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Paula. All right. Thank you, Paul. Always um, good to hear from Paula. Yeah, I, I literally just couldn't talk to her the last few nights. Paul, she said she was requesting in. It never showed up. I know. I felt bad. I uh, I she tweeted at me a couple of times and said that, and I was never able to get on long enough to get her in and, and uh, to, to help out there. But now we're back. The world is right now. Um, I, Rick, do you want to jump back into Kennesaw State here real quick before we uh... – let's? You know what? I've got one guy that I've been seeing for probably like an hour, so I'm going to bring him in real quick, and then we'll jump into Kennesaw State. Chris, what's going on if you're oh, still okay. with us? I, oh, hey, Chris. Chris, All right, Chris, what's going on? Man? I'm just sitting here enjoying the selection Sunday as opposed to the last four years. That's pretty nice, isn't it? Uh, actually, last night I was I really, despite what happened during the Marquette game, I really just sat here and had a big smile and was in the best mood because it is so much better to not be the Jewish kid on Christmas. And that's that's how I feel the last four years on Selection Sunday. All all, all my friends get to, you know open their presents and first round games, and I get nothing. So it, it really was fun today. Uh, also, I just want to say it really has been fun this year listening to you and, and Adam and Paul talk basketball. It's makes game days even more fun. And then, well, appreciate that. We love doing it. And I mean, th- it, to your point about Selection Sunday. This to me, like even if you're not a fan of Xavier specifically or what other team you hear people talk about, this is the best time to talk college basketball with people. Like it's just so much fun because people aren't 
just complaining about how much their coach stinks, complaining about refs and the usual things that fans do throughout the course of a regular season. It's people actually engaging in like, oh, what about this matchup? What about that matchup? And people talking with a little bit of hope and positivity in their voice, which always makes it a little bit more. Well, and, and another thing for a degenerate gambler like me, this week has been absolutely fantastic. Win or oh, lose. The best. The best. It's been basketball from 11 in the morning till 2.30 in the evening, three, four nights straight. I couldn't agree more with you there. That I mean, I've I've had it on three or four different screens at different times throughout the the last few days. It has just been unbelievable. And then uh, just one more quick thing: what, how do we feel about playing the the twelve forty five or twelve forty game on Friday? Just more time to watch the rest of the games through the afternoon. I uh, I could agree with that point as well. I also like the fact we get all day Thursday to enjoy drama free. That's right. Yeah, it's a little bit concerning for me because I'm going to be, uh, I would assume, since NKU doesn't play until 9.20 on Thursday night, I'm going to be flying a charter back Friday morning. So I'm just hoping I'll be landed and back when Xavier tips off. That would be ideal. (laughs) Yes, I would say so. Hopefully it's an early flight. You guys have a good night, and thanks for taking my call. Well, no, Rick, you're not flying. You're winning the game. You're not flying. Don't worry about it. All right. Thanks, Chris. Oh, yeah, that's what I meant to say, Paul. Hopefully, I'm back at my hotel and tucked in. Yeah, you're back in the hotel. Don't worry about it, Rick. Um, this is true. Um, okay, let's let's get to Kennesaw State here. I don't mean to speed things up. I'm just running on 90 minutes of sleep from last night, and I got a, I got probably another two hours worth of work here to do. So um, do you want to do that? Because I'm sure – well, you got 12 hours worth of spaces. I'm sure I'm going to have to – help out with tomorrow so yeah chime in during our our marathon which i'll have to check and see what the numbers are at but i think the biggest thing to know about kennesaw state is their go-to guy is chris youngblood 6'4 212 pounds a stocky wing to be clear i'm not comparing these two players but if you're trying to picture how he goes about getting his points and how they use him think of trayvon blewett they're going to run him off of screens. He's oh going to catch and God. shoot. Oh my God, Xavier's got to play Trayvon Blewett. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they're going to catch. He's going to catch and shoot off screens. He's going to kind of use his. He's got a stocky Rick, frame to him, and he's not. This was easy for two hours. You're telling me we got to play like the second best player in program history. Yes, yes. Not as talented. Certainly not the same player. Oh my God. But um, stocky, not as athletic. Gets his points in a similar way as, as Trayvon did, and they use him in a similar way that Xavier used Trayvon. So he's kind of their go-to best scorer, uh, but not a guy who's going to be flying at you, coming off of ball screens or creating a ton off the dribble. When he does drive, he likes to just kind of use his weight to lean into you and then shoot floaters and runners from the mid-range and and hopefully draw some fouls. But his big thing is shooting threes. That's where he gets most of his points. Then their next leading scorer is probably the more concerning player based on Xavier's defensive issues. He's a shifty five foot ten, 178 pound point guard, Terrell Burden. And he averages 13 and a half points per game over four assists. He shot 34% from three this year, but he's not really a shooter. He's a driver. He averages less than one make per game from three point range, but he is a good finisher for a guy who's only five ten. We'll see how his length works against Xavier, but you know, it's not like Xavier's blocking a lot of shots at the rim. So I would have some concerns about his ability to use his quickness and, and beat Sule off the bounce. But if that really becomes a big concern, I think Xavier just slides over Desmond Claude or, or Colby Jones to, to try to shut him down. And then finally, their third leading scorer is a big man inside, six foot eight, 264 pounds, not athletic, slow footed, 
uh, center, Demond Robinson. He averages just over 11 points and nearly six rebounds per game. And, and he's a guy that at the mid-major level or low-major level, he's effective and he gets a lot of work done for them. He rebounds well. Xavier will have to worry about him on the offensive glass a little bit. But defensively against like Sule Boom in a ball screen situation, I have no idea what they're going to do with him. They're, they're very well coached and they do a good job of defending. So I assume it'll be a lot of team defense and trying to keep it tight. But uh, they're really going to have to either make some concessions or overcompensate for his lack of foot speed when it comes to defending Xavier and ball screens. Or, or maybe, you know, they, they played 90% man to man this year. They did play 10% 2 3 zone. They played that 10% of the time. So possibly maybe they'll just decide we can't play without our big fellow on the floor, which, you know, most mid-major or low-major teams can't play without their best, one of their three best players and a starting center on the floor. Maybe they'll just go to the zone and, and try to play that against Xavier. If they do that, I would expect Xavier to be able to crush them just as well. I, I think they'll just execute easily against that zone. Um, I think the biggest concern is that Kennesaw State's going to shoot it well from three. They've got three or four, maybe even five guys that are at least a threat. Youngblood's going to shoot most of them, but there's a couple other guys who who are a threat. Um, and overall, I, I just think it's a good matchup. There's not a lot of length, not a lot of athleticism. They don't have a big six foot ten big man that is some weird fringe draft pick like Weber State did those years ago when when Xavier played them. Um, they don't have a six foot four athletic point guard is going to come downhill off of ball screens and really cause a lot of problems like some of the guards that have done so against Xavier. I think for the most part, this matchup works out about as well as you could ask for as a Xavier fan. And this goes back what you just said to what I was saying at the very beginning of this show when I was sitting there tonight at the Sintas Center and I was looking at all the guys as they were watching the selection show and they saw Kent State's name pop up there, and you could see just the sigh of relief from everybody that you don't got to deal with sincere carry and, and all that business. No question. Sincere carry, their go-to guard, really good coming off of ball screens, just a thick, uh, pretty athletic, but really skilled and, and talented player uh, that can make plays for his teammates and be a go-to scorer himself. That would have been a big concern had Xavier matched up with them in the first round. And there were a few other, you know, picks where you'd be like, oh, that could be a potential upset pick for people. But it'd be hard for me to see anybody predicting a Kennesaw State win over Xavier. That just doesn't seem to be a good matchup for the Owls at all. Yep. Um, Xavier right now is an 11-point favorite as we sit here. The total's at, oh my God, 151 and a half. Um, Xavier's minus 700 on the money line. So that's your that's your overall kind of look at this thing. And uh Trust me, Rick and I will have plenty, plenty more as as we go along. I am planning to be down there in Greensboro. I don't know when I'm headed down there, but that the that's the plan to be down there this weekend. Uh, so I'll have coverage on site. Adam Baum will be down there. He'll have coverage. And then, of course, Rick, we're getting the subscriptions up. We have the deal right now. So if you have not subscribed yet, go subscribe to musketeerreport.com. We will have plenty, plenty, plenty. We'll do more spaces this week, I'm sure. Uh, plenty to talk about as the week goes on. Definitely. Uh, and like I said, as long as Xavier is playing games this year, we'll be doing the live post-game spaces. So you can expect that shortly after each NCAA tournament game that they played. I'm sure there will be at least five or six of those. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, let's, uh, let's go ahead and try to finish off the year strong. Appreciate all you guys that have checked in. I'm checking the 
subscriptions right now. We are up to 18. There have been 18 new subscriptions tonight. So we got a lot of work to go to get to 150. Um, I'll, I, you know, it doesn't have to be by midnight. Just I'd say before, like I wake up in the morning, maybe is, is a okay, good deadline. So we, got, we got a lot of ground to go before you got yeah. a long day ahead of you. Yep. All right. All right. Well, thank you to everybody for listening. Stay tuned. We'll have plenty of coverage all week and, uh, you know, podcasts, written content, everything. Uh, we'll have you covered. So stick around. Xavier, again, playing at 1240 on True TV on Friday afternoon down in Greensboro. If you're getting your tickets, um, I'm sure the tickets for Sunday are going to start to go up because Xavier would, assuming that both teams win, that would be uh, a Xavier Kentucky session. Xavier would obviously not be playing Kentucky, but they would be playing in the same session. And we all know how big blue nation travels. So that's something to keep an eye on. Xavier's not in the same session with Kentucky on Friday. Xavier's in the afternoon session. Kentucky's in the night session, but there's only one session in Greensboro on uh, Sunday afternoon or whenever it is. We won't know a, we will not know a Sunday tip time until probably late in the night on Friday. Uh, But that's it. Rick, anything else? That'll do it. Thanks, Paul. All right. Thanks everybody.